Today's read, The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Chapter 8, Professional Education Discouraged. In the training for professions, other than the ministry and teaching, the Negro has not had full sway. Any extensive comment on professional education by the Negro, then, must be mainly negative. We have not had sufficient professional schools upon which we can base an estimate of what the Negro educator can do in this sphere. If mistakes have been made in miseducating the Negro professionally, it must be charged not so much to the account of the Negroes themselves as to that of their friends who have performed this task. We are dealing here then, mainly, with information obtained from the study of Negroes who have been professionally trained by whites in their own schools and in mixed institutions. The largest number of Negroes in professions, other than the ministry or education, are physicians, dentists, pharmacists, lawyers, and actors. The numbers in these and other lines have not adequately increased because of the economic status of the Negroes and probably because of a false conception of the role of the professional man in the community as its relation to him. The people whom the Negro professional men have volunteered to serve have not always given them sufficient support to develop that standing and solidarity which will make their position professional and influential. Most whites in contact with Negroes, always the teachers of their brethren in black, both by precept and practice, have treated the professions as aristocratic spheres to which Negroes should not aspire. We have had then a much smaller number than those who under different circumstances would have dared to cross the line and those that did so were starved out by the whites who could not treat them as a professional class. This made it impracticable for Negroes to employ them in spheres in which they could not function efficiently. For example, because of a law that a man could not be admitted to the bar in Delaware without practicing a year under some lawyer in the state, and no white lawyer would grant a Negro such an opportunity until a few years ago, it was only recently that a Negro was admitted there. Negroes then learned from their oppressors to say to their children that there were certain spheres into which they should not go because they would have no chance therein for development. In a number of places, young men were discouraged and frightened away from certain professions by the poor showing made by those trying to function in them. Few had the courage to face this ordeal, and some professional schools and institutions for Negroes were closed about 30 or 40 years ago, partly on this account. This was especially true of the law schools, closed during the wave of legislation against the Negro. At the very time, the largest possible number of Negroes needed to know the law for the protection of their civil and political rights. In other words, the thing which the patient needed most to pass the crisis was taken from him 
that he might more easily die. This one act, among many others, is an outstanding monument to the stupidity or malevolence of those in charge of Negro schools, and it serves as a striking demonstration of the miseducation of the race. Almost any observer remembers distinctly the hard trials of the Negro lawyers. A striking example of their difficulties was supplied by the case of the first to be permanently established in Huntington, West Virginia. The author had entrusted to him the matter of correcting an error in the transfer of some property purchased from one of the most popular white attorneys in the state. For six months, this simple transaction was delayed and the Negro lawyer could not induce the white attorney to act. The author finally went to the office himself to complain of the delay. The white attorney frankly declared that he had not taken up the matter because he did not care to treat with a Negro attorney, but he would deal with the author who happened to be at that time the teacher of a Negro school and was therefore in his place. At one time, the Negroes in medicine and correlated fields were regarded in the same light. They had difficulty in making their own people believe that they could cure a complaint, fill a tooth, or compound a prescription. The whites said that they could not do it, and of course, if the whites said so, it was true, so far as most Negroes were concerned. In those fields, however, actual demonstrations to the contrary have convinced a sufficient number of both Negroes and whites that such an attitude towards these classes is false. But there are many Negroes who still follow those early teachings, especially the highly educated, who in school have been given the scientific reasons for it. It is a most remarkable process that while in one department of a university, a Negro may be studying for a profession. In another department of the same university, he is being shown how the Negro professional man cannot succeed. Some of the highly educated then give their practice to those who are often inferior to the Negroes whom they thus pass by. Although there has been an increase in these particular spheres, however, The professions among Negroes, with the exception of teaching and preaching, are still undermanned. In the same way, the Negro was once discouraged and dissuaded from taking up designing, drafting, architecture, engineering, and chemistry. The whites, they were told, will not employ you and your people cannot provide such opportunities. The thought of pioneering or of developing the Negro to the extent that he might figure in this fear did not dawn on those monitors of the Negroes preparing for their life's work. This tradition is still a heavy load in Negro education, and it forces many Negroes out of spheres in which they might function into those for which they may not have any aptitude. In music, dramatics and correlated arts too, the Negro has been unfortunately misled. Because the Negro is gifted as a singer 
and can render more successfully than others the music of his own people, he has been told that he does not need training. Scores of those who have undertaken to function in this sphere without adequate education then have developed only to a certain point beyond which they have not had ability to go. We cannot easily estimate how popular Negro musicians and their music might have become had they been taught to the contrary. Of these, several instances may be cited. A distinguished man talking recently as a member of a large Episcopal church, which maintains a Negro mission, mentioned his objection to the budget of $1,500 a year for music for those segregated communicants. Inasmuch as the Negroes were naturally gifted in music, he did not believe that any expensive training or direction was required. The small number of Negro colleges and universities which undertake the training of the Negro in music is further evidence of the belief that the Negro is all but perfect in this field and should direct his attention to the traditional curricula. The same misunderstanding with respect to the Negro in dramatics is also evident. We have long had the belief that the Negro is a natural actor who does not require any stimulus for further development. In this assertion is the idea that because the Negro is good at dancing, joking, minstrelsy, and the like, he is in his place when cutting a shine and does not need to be trained to function in the higher sphere of dramatics. Thus misled, large numbers of Negroes ambitious for the stage have not bloomed forth into great possibilities. Too many of them have finally ended with roles in questionable cafes, cabarets, and nightclubs of America and Europe. And instead of increasing the prestige of the Negro, they have brought the, the race into disgrace. We scarcely realize what a poor showing we make in dramatics, in spite of our natural aptitude in this sphere. Only about a half dozen Negro actors have achieved greatness, but we have more actors and showmen than any other professionals except teachers and ministers. Where are these thousands of men and women in the histrionic sphere? What do we hear of them? What have they achieved? Their record shows that only a few measure up to the standard of the modern stage. Most of these would-be artists have no preparation for the tasks undertaken. A careful study of the Negro in dramatics shows that only those who have actually taken the time to train themselves as they should be have finally endured. Their salvation has been to realize that adequate training is the surest way to attain artistic maturity. And those few who have thus understood the situation clearly demonstrate our ineptitude in the failure to educate the Negroes along the lines in which they could have admirably succeeded. Some of our schools have, for some time, undertaken this work as imitators of institutions dealing with persons otherwise circumstanced. Desirable results, therefore, have not followed, and the Negroes on the stage is still mainly the product of the trial and error method. Several other reasons may be given for the failure of a larger number of Negro actors to reach a higher level. 
in the first place, they have been recognized by the white man only in the Pearly Plantation comedy and minstrelsy. And because of the large number entering the field, it has failed to offer a bright future for many of such aspirants. Repeatedly told by the white man that he could not function as an actor in a different sphere, the American Negro has all but ceased to attempt anything else. The successful career of Ira Aldridge in Shakespeare was forgotten until recently recalled by the dramatic success of Paul Robeson in Othello. The large majority of Negroes have settled down then to contentment as ordinary clowns and comedians. They have not had the courage or they have not learned how to break over the unnatural barriers and occupy higher ground. The Negro author is no exception to the traditional rule. He writes, but the white man is supposed to know more about everything than the Negro. So who wants a book written by a Negro about a Negro? As a rule, not even a Negro himself, for if he is really educated, he must show that he has the appreciation for the best in literature. The Negro author then can neither find a publisher nor a reader, and his story remains untold. The Negro editors and reporters were once treated the same way, but thanks to the uneducated printers who founded most of our newspapers, which have succeeded, these men of vision have made it possible for the quote-unquote educated Negroes to make a living in this sphere in proportion as they recover from their education and learn to deal with the Negro as he is and where he is.